0: You know, I think for us, we've always cared about giving back. That was kind of like the motto behind our brand when we started. You know, we wanted to help out the artisans. We wanted to bring them more opportunity. Um, Then we started making bracelets that donated back to charities. So we wanted to help out the charities and really find a way that Pura can kind of be like, I guess, a double-edged sword um, where we can do two things. One would be, like I said, helping out the artisans. The other is working with charities. And I think when you put those two things together, it really shows how much we care about the brand and also where the consumer's dollar is really going.
1: This is the Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer brand and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. This week, I'm joined by Griffin Thal, who is the CEO of Pura Vida, which is, uh, I must say, one of my newfound favorite brands. So I was really very pleased when uh, when we got the opportunity to speak to him. And for those of you that don't know Pura Vida, I, I think of it really as one of the 21st century's case studies in American dream creation. Um, it's really interesting. In our company, we've always talked about The notion that uh, brands of the 21st century needed to have a different soul, a different way of being. And the very word Pura Vida, which means pure life in Spanish, really means uh, embracing uh, the simpler things in life. And I believe that the brands of the 21st century that will thrive, and indeed Pura Vida has thrived, are those that have a bit of sense of humor, that have some love, a little bit of affection, are affordable, have a fun lifestyle, they're comfortable, casual, etc. So I think the story of Pura Vida, which uh, the origin story, which is remarkable, and I'll save it for Griffin to tell himself about how they came up with this idea, um, is something to hear about. And then it went all the way to uh, selling a majority stake of the business to a large incumbent, Vera Bradley. So um, without further ado, let's get started. Griffin, thank you so much for doing the safari with me.
0: Of course, yeah, I'm happy to be here.
1: So I must say, um, it's, it's such fun, I know when everyone interviews you, um, I know the, the beginning of, the, of, the, of the, this story always comes back to how you guys got started, but given that this recording is now happening in, uh, in the middle of, or maybe hopefully in the, the tail end of uh, quarantine, where in the world are you doing your quarantine?
0: So yeah, I've been doing my quarantine mostly um, in San Diego. Um, I live in Pacific Beach and um, I come up to Santa Monica pretty often as well, Uh, visit my parents in Malibu. So I've been uh, mostly staying put uh, down in Pacific Beach in San Diego and, you know, just kind of doing my thing, working from home, uh, surfing. Uh, Fortunately, the beaches are open and, you know, cooking a lot and just kind of, you know, keeping to myself.
1: Oh, good for you. We're all missing the surfing here. I guess that's going to start soon. Uh, in the northeast, um, just got my new surfboard, so we'll see how that all goes later on. Um, so, listen, uh, I'd love for everyone to hear, uh, obviously, the the background, uh, a little bit about you and and how you and your partner uh, Paul, you know, literally were on holiday and uh, decided to start a business based on bumping into two young artisans uh, who you guys um, you know, took a shine to, and uh, and the rest was history. So, why don't we start from the beginning? Obviously.
0: For sure. Um, so yeah, I went to uh, San Diego State for college when I was 18, um, growing up in, uh, in the LA area in like Agora, Westlake, Calabasas. Uh, and then once I got to San Diego State, I was there for about five years. Uh, it took me a long time to graduate. That extra year was uh, just for fun, pretty much. Um, and then, you know, we went to Costa Rica for our graduation trip and we went there for five weeks. We met these two artisans on the beach. The last week we were there, um, their names are Jorge and Joaquin. And um, they were selling bracelets off of a little table, a little artisan table. And you know, people are very familiar with, you know, buying these types of products in um, you know third world countries when they're traveling a lot. And we walked up to their table, bought a couple bracelets, um, you know, for our friends and family. Bought a couple for ourselves. Uh, went back to our hotel later that night. Looked down at our wrists, and we said, "Hey, maybe this is a crazy idea, but I think we could sell these to our friends and family back home. So why don't we buy a couple hundred? So we bought, you know. 400 bracelets and we brought them back to San Diego and the time that we bought the bracelets from Jorge and Joaquin on the beach, that was the last time they ever worked on the beach again. So today, Jorge and Joaquin manage an operation um, in Costa Rica and El Salvador, and they have over 800 bracelet artisans that hand make every single product we sell.
1: That's incredible. That's incredible. And they've been doing this for you now for, for how long?
0: Uh, Since 2010. Um, We're actually, I think September is our 10 year anniversary. So we got a couple more months and it'll be a full decade of Pira Vida, which is insane. That's
1: incredible. I mean, how many people do you think went on holiday and had a similar conversation to the one you had and then came home and actually not only did it, but had this whopping success and an exit and all all the rest of it. I mean, what do you think differentiated the two of you from all the rest of us on this particular subject?
0: Um, like on building a brand?
1: Yeah, building a brand from an idea on a whim on, on vacation.
0: I think when people travel, you know they get they get inspired, they get creative, they they get lost, they find themselves, they uncover new skills or hobbies that they like. And I think for us, we just graduated college, we knew that we were going to get blasted into reality, and we had to polish off our resume. And none of that sounded good. It sounded like a horrible idea. and it sounded like the past four or five years that we spent at San Diego State, that we had to play by the rules and get a nine to five job and make fifty k out of college and blah blah blah, and that just sounded bad to me. So, we thought there's got to be a better way around this. And e commerce was kind of just starting. Um, you know, there weren't that many brands selling stuff online. It was kind of like Amazon and a couple other bigger stores, and you know, like maybe Nordstrom and Walmart and stuff. Um, but then I feel like I feel like we were familiar with people buying stuff online, but there was a big fear of internet security and you know is it safe to shop on sites that are not global brands and we kind of jumped into it head-on and and we built a we built a store on Shopify and um, it was really easy for us to do um, you know we didn't need a developer in the beginning I learned how to do graphic design and some minor coding stuff just from like YouTube and you know this was before mobile shopping so everyone was on a desktop and you know people had blackberries and some people had iPhones and you know our website loaded up 13 or 14 seconds. It was pretty much just like shopping on a, on a dinosaur website. Yeah. Um, but after years of, 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 um, of innovation and experience and, um, just perfecting the brand experience, um, it really made the Pure Vida website kind of like a e-commerce powerhouse.
1: And the, the brand itself, I mean, look, I, I, I think many Americans have been to Costa Rica. I happen to spend a lot of time there. Um, and the the, the underpinnings of what that those two words mean to uh, Costa Ricans is 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 really it's really the the almost the motto, if not the motto of the country. Um, and it, I think in this day and age and forgetting what we're living through right now, but obviously it means even more today potentially. Um, but I think that the cultural shift of millennials and now the Gen Z to things that are simpler that are more fun, that are more uh, inclusive. Um, how do you feel uh, about um, the notion that we always talk about that, uh, that the brands of, of the 21st century will be less London, New York uh, and, and, and Paris and more, let's say, Montreal, L.A. or California and Sydney, um, you know, more just chill. How does that um, resonate with you in general, recognizing that it's literally straight down the fairway for you guys?
0: I mean... I think brands now are really pushing like the authenticity and the clarity and the transparency because that's what the consumers are, are needing right now. You know, They don't need to buy from a big brand that's overcharging them, that's a big designer company that has all the resources and is just putting such a big price tag on things. Um, consumers love discovering brands. They love being the first brand to, to share with their friends. Um, they love being on, on Instagram seeing an ad that resonates with them, buying it and then getting it for all their friends. So there's there's almost like a feeling of like of being like discovered, you know what I mean? And I think with all these big Shopify brands and these D to C brands, we've all been the first brand to be discovered before we kind of got popular, you know? And you know, whether it's a bracelet company, a sunglass company, a hat company, a skincare company, we've all started at zero. We made a good product, people had strong word of mouth, and that's what kind of grew the brand organically. And I think that in today's kind of era, you know, customers really want to see the authenticity. They want to see customer reviews. They want to see unboxing videos. They want to see how the product's made, where the product's from. Um, some some brands even uncover all their cost structure. Uh, I think Patagonia does that. So there's yep. different ways that brands are connecting with consumers to show that they're real and they actually really care.
1: Yeah, I, I think what's what's really interesting about the way you have done it is that the sort of almost two layers of corporate social responsibility. Uh, one is obviously the fact that you've put so many people to work who historically maybe were living below the poverty line and were selling to tourists on a one-off basis on a beach. And now you've institutionalized that activity to really make a, 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 what would be maybe considered a cottage industry into industry. Let's, let's call it that. Uh, which is what it is, but on another level, you're also using corporate social responsibility by, I also believe, uh, having a foundation and giving and, and, and really being um, a support system to, to, to others as well in different ways. So can you talk a little bit about that sort of double layer of corporate social responsibility?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think for us, we've always cared about giving back. That was kind of like the motto behind our brand when we started, you know, we wanted to help out the artisans. We wanted to bring them more opportunity. Um, then we started making bracelets that donated back to charities. So we wanted to help out the charities and really find a way that Pyramidic can kind of be like I guess a double-edged sword um, where we can do two things. One would be, like I said, helping out the artisans, the other is working with charities. And I think when you put those two things together, it really shows how much we care about the brand and also where the consumer's dollar is really going. Um in addition to that, you know, we do whatever we can, whether it's in office um or with our artisan networks to make sure that you know they are well taken care of. Um, they're paid well over the normal rate in the neighborhoods that they live in. Um, but yeah, also on top of that, you know, we have biodegradable packaging. Um, we want to make sure there's minimal waste, um, and that those are the kind of things that we we care about. And we're actually in the process of becoming B Corp certified, which may take us um, probably another six months to a year potentially. But um, we have a really great plan of plan of attack for doing that, and our whole staff is really on board to helping that out. The
1: the the business was. I'm sure, um, as many people would have probably told you, you know, a, a wild success from the very beginning, but I'm sure uh, below the surface, there was all kinds of problems you, you dealt with. Um, so as an entrepreneur, because that's what you are, I mean, a, a tried and, and true entrepreneur, um, how was it um, to have to make that journey, the sourcing journey, as it were, between Central and South America uh, California, uh, building the business, uh, trying to figure out margin, um, you know, how much, how much was fair to, to, to buy these products from the local artisans, and then what should be the, the markup. And t- talk a little bit about sort of the thinking that w- happened around those kinds of subjects. Let's say, that, you know, the business of the business, because at the end of the day, those listening are, are, are in the business of the business, uh, but also how that's changed and, and what's evolved uh, from, you know, the, the, the sort of the unit economics perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the time we really didn't know what we were doing um, when we bought the bracelets from them. I think they were around like a dollar or fifty cents. Um, that price hasn't really changed, um, you know, from buying them from our two artisans, Jorge and Joaquin. We have never really penny pinched them or try to kind of capitalize on their labor and get the prices down. Um, we've always been very consistent with the prices that they charge us. And when they need when they need to charge higher prices because of tariffs going up or taxes or imports or cost of living, um, then we kind of find a best solution to work on those increases together, as opposed to just trying to completely push and push and get the prices down. Like that might happen more in like China. Um, so I think we've always been very respectful to the relationship. Um, and it is really a relationship with them. You know, we're, we're, we're partners in this and we have been since the beginning. So it feels really good to know that there's trust both ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And over time, you know, it's, it's been a, uh, it's been challenging, you know. Uh, Paul and I never went to school for global um, supply chain, and when you put those words together, it sounds like you need like you know some doctor degree to figure that out. Um, <laughs> we, have, uh, we have a girl in our office named Erico. She's very experienced in global supply chain, um, you know, from the raw materials to the packaging that a customer gets um, at their front door. Uh, she does all of that, and it's been a huge, huge win bringing her on board. Um, she loves the brand, works so hard to make sure that. Um, everything about our supply chain is perfect. And, you know, I think she's really, uh, really brought us to where we are today.
1: And, and you started, as you said, with a Shopify site and, um, obviously selling to friends, etc. cetera, but what was the, what were the first, um, wholesale accounts, uh, if you had any, I, I think you actually did, but, but how did you grow the business? Um, or was it majority, um, direct to consumer, um, by the time you ended up, ends up selling a majority of the company?
0: Yeah. I mean, we're right now we're at about like 70% e-commerce, 30% wholesale. Mm-hmm. And when we started the business, we were always um, taking orders on both sides. So as just as quickly as we were selling stuff online, we were having people in our office, basically cold call the accounts that we thought would be a good fit to carry Pure Vida. So, you know, that would be surf shops, yoga studios, gift stores, um, potentially hair salons, nail salons, any anything that we thought would be perfect for the brand yeah. um, at the beginning. Since then, we've evolved. Um, we've really curated what our store is. And it's that gift store, it's the surf store, it's the clothing store. Um, it's you know sits right in the counter for the point of purchase sale, right next to the cash wrap in every store. Um, it's, it's actually crazy that they give us that real estate, but it's because the product sells so well. Um, we're in about 5,000 doors right now. Um, some of our biggest accounts um, include, let's see, um, we just launched in Nordstrom, um, you know, we're in Tilly's, um, we're in Paper Store, we're in Whole Foods, um, and these are all nationwide accounts. Um, so it, it never starts like that. It always started at, you know, the local surf shop down the street. And you really have to prove to them that this product is worth them carrying. Um, and and at the beginning stages, you know, we had to do a lot of consignment. Um, and now we don't do consignment because they know that the product sells so quickly that they're actually placing future orders when they place their first order now. So it's really crazy to see how the brands evolved in terms of the product innovation but also the demand
1: yeah i mean it's wonderful when you think about retail economics the idea of them giving you that real estate at point of sale um you know on a gross margin a uh, dollar per square foot basis you're the best deal in the whole store right i mean you're you you don't take up any space you have a high margin for them i'm sure you're allowing them to have a relatively good margin and you can sell a lot of them um stacked up right there on the register so it's a but with the economics yeah. of the business is just uh, just remarkable.
0: it's It's crazy. I mean, in like half of a square foot, they could potentially house two to three thousand dollars worth of product. And to have two to three thousand dollars worth of shoes, you would need a whole wall and back stock. you know?
1: We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage, and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. So, uh, Griffin, th- th- let's get into the meat of what the safari is all about. What I've been really proud of doing this uh, podcast for the last six months is that we've interviewed, uh, I think, in equal measure, um, the contenders. Uh, of the industry, such as yourself, who grew and, and are growing uh, and uh, and have had a great success, but also many of the incumbents, you know, CEOs of department stores and big real estate companies and big licensing houses and all the rest of it. Um, so I'm really interested in the interplay between that notion of contender brand and incumbent. And for five years, um, our company, Tribe Consulting, has been sort of pounding the table. Uh, that in fashion, retail, accessories, footwear, etc., that the big guys should really be taking notice of um, the smaller guys who are really nimble, who understood their consumer, who knew how to do grassroots marketing, who were um, really agile online. Um, and in our studies, which were called the New Davids, uh, we did them for five years. We just did the last one Um just this last november um it was all always about you know all the big guys needed to wake up wake up and see what you guys were all doing and they really should be acquiring companies such as yourself um and i must say that i think it's so wonderful that vera bradley uh, really knew this or felt it and and felt that um that sort of synergy with you not just in your customer and and the, the i guess the the brands, uh, the brand values and the fun and, and, and the way you come to market, but also how important what you guys had built as IP from the plumbing um, would be or could be to them. Um, so, you know, from your experience uh, as a business owner, uh, one of those digital native brands um, and the decision process that you had to go through, and there are a lot of your, you know, um, compatriots, let's say, who also listen to this, uh, in digital native land, what were the decisions you guys had to, to think about? Like, do we sell to a big guy? Do we not sell to a big guy? Do we go it alone? Do we not? Are you comfortable sort of sharing a little bit about sort of the, the, the whys of what you did?
0: Definitely. Um, you know, I think every business owner, you know, they're, they're so emotionally attached to their business, um, which is kind of how you grow the brand and have so much passion for it. Um, we were never actively looking to sell the business when we started it, you know, the business started off of a surf trip in Costa Rica. Um, it, it was a passion project that turned into a full-time job, which led into a successful business. But, you know, when we, when we found out that people started hitting us up from private equity, from, um, strategic, uh, buyers and also from, um, investment bankers, we were kind of putting all this together and we're like, why, why are many people hitting us up? Um, so. After we kind of got those emails for about a couple of years, we ended up engaging with an investment banking firm called Sage, um, which is based in Beverly Hills. And we started chatting with them a bunch and um, they had a great track record of other um, e-commerce brands that they've sold in the past and the multiples and and everything looked pretty good. So we ended up giving them a shot and and figured like, hey, if we can get a value that we feel the company's worth, then we're willing to entertain it. And if we don't, then we'll just keep going. You know, we, we At the end of the day, we still have our business, you know? Um, and then we actually went through a big process. Uh, I would say it was kind of like a, um, like a, a U.S. tour of interviewing, you know, different private equities and banks. And the roadshow. Yeah. The roadshow. Exactly. Um, and we did that. And, and, you know, it was a little bit of sales and a little bit of dancing, but at the end of the day, we were proud of what we were talking about. And it was all true. And it was just, it was coming from the heart. Um, and we actually had nine, um, uh, sorry, seven bids. So seven offers were put in for Vita. Um and after negotiation, we kind of went down to two, and then we ended up going with Vera Bradley. And the reason we decided to go with them um, was not because it was the highest offer; was be- it was because it was the one that we felt there would be longevity with, and we felt that you know them being around for over thirty years and being big in a charity, and the founders were you know were two best friends coming up with an idea um, pretty much on their bedroom floor you know, it just felt very similar. And working with them so far, it's almost been a year has been awesome. Um, No hiccups, no roadblocks, knock on wood, it's been a great experience. Um, But they've helped us with the things that, you know, we were we were almost at a turning point for scale. And it's all operational, you know, it's the legal, it's the accounting, it's the back office functions, it's supply chain help, it's um, quality control, and it's financial accounting. I mean, these are things that we could have kept doing on our own, no problem. But now our team is allowed to focus on creative and product innovation and culture and brand and social media and Facebook ads and things that, things that we were actually built to be experts in. Um, and it's almost like our weaknesses complemented their strengths and the marriage has been great.
1: It's interesting. I mean, I, I I take my hat off to Rob Wallström big time because it's so rare for a CEO of a big public company to have the courage to you know put put aside some of the the hubbub that people say about digital native brands and they won't survive, they won't be around, whatever, um, and to be able to focus in and hone in on on maybe uh, what the opportunities are. Right? What what does Nuco look like? And uh, I think he, you know, in in the history of what's going on in in retail today, I think you guys coming together is just a a really wonderful story that will be a harbinger, I think, for a lot of things that, you know, will come in the future. I think you guys, your your marriage was one of the first. It's happened for years in the CPG space, you know, all the big guys buying up the cool young food companies, right? Um, But in fashion, retail accessories, footwear, not so much. So um it's it's really interesting. What are some of the surprising things that you know um once you guys were now, you know, part of their company, um at least majority owned by them that was just completely foreign or completely uh, fascinating to you uh, to be inside this new environment.
0: I mean, honestly, they've really let us just grow the brand from afar with with not much um, you know, not much moving around. It's it's been really really good. Um and I know that's not a common thing to hear. A lot of people want uh, the bigger brand wants to come in and kind of shake things up and cut costs and remove employees and all the stuff. But you know that has not happened at all. Um, I think they really trust Paul and I. Um, they know that we are a founder-driven business. They know that our heart is in the game. And I think that they really trust the decisions that we made before the deal and are going to make after the deal and pretty much moving forward. So um, I think that that's, that's the it's in our favor. And do
1: they sometimes tap you guys for advice on things they're doing on the other side, or, or do you guys stick to your lanes and, and just do you, do you? No, no,
0: definitely. I mean, you know, they they have plans to move over to Shopify soon, and I think that's a big play because it's really going to um, allow both of the brands to kind of come together, share resources, and the big reason, you know, for the acquisition was because of our digital expertise. And you know, right now, um, you know, not everything that we can offer can work, you know, within their um, their CRM and their platform. So. I think the move to Shopify will align both brands. Um, also an opportunity to save costs potentially on our different apps and services and come, some of our SaaS platforms. So, you know, I think that there's a lot in the in the future for both of us to really just increase the efficiency of both of our websites because um, the amount of customers that we each get per day is, is, is substantial.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating stuff. So to pivot a little bit into um, something a little different um, around marketing. So one of the, Things that I believe uh, digital native brands are just so much better at than, uh, let's say, incumbent businesses, is just being really raw and honest with their customers, and then partnering with people to help, um, you know, be disciples of of the brand, and and really, uh, therefore, to leave the reins to others a little bit, uh, not not be so controlling from a marketing perspective. You guys, I think, have been quite famous in and and having a rather unique strategy with micro influencers um, how can you describe those programs and what is what are the learnings that others might might be able to glean from how you dealt with influencers and and indeed your marketing uh, up to now
0: yeah i mean i think ever since the beginning you know we were never the brands that wanted to just put our stuff on a on a big celebrity promote it that way and and push it and say hey if you buy our product you'll feel like the celebrity or you know we didn't just go to hire a bunch of runway models and you know, put our products on them and saying, hey, if you buy products, then you're going to look and feel like this person. Um, we always wanted to be an all-inclusive brand in terms of our marketing. So working with micro-influencers or working with brand ambassadors, which we consider the normal person, um, it allows our customers to just be an advocate for the brand. And whether you have 500 followers, whether you have 1,000, whether you have 50,000 or 100,000, know, we want people to... Promote Pure Vida in a creative way on their Instagram uh, by buying our products. And you know, like I said uh, before, we're an inclusive brand of and and we're accepting of everyone. And I think that's what's so good about the product is that anyone can wear it. It can be worn at any times. It's waterproof. And to be honest, it just makes people feel good.
1: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. And you've expanded, I think, to other accessories. Uh, are they also made in um, Central America, or have you diversified your? Sourcing base and, and what products are you now into?
0: Yeah, so I mean, um, we have uh, we have rings that are made in India and our necklaces. Um, and basically, you know, we're using a mix between like precious stones. We have turquoise, we have rose gold, uh, we have sterling silver, um, just different types of metals. Um, and it's really allowed us to create a jewelry line um, of products that really resonate with our customers. So if we felt confident about kind of owning the wrist space, then marketing to that same customer with a ring mm-hmm. is only a couple inches from your wrist so it's pretty <laughs> yeah. it's not
1: far away yeah
0: yeah not far away so it's like if we were you know let's say a shoe brand and then we started making hats there might be some disconnect so we felt that the the correct expansion of a product was going from bracelets to rings to now jewelry um, and jewelry is is pretty much almost a third of our business now so the demand for these rings has really, really skyrocketed over the past couple of years.
1: And so, do you who who do you have a team in India? Or how does that? Who who are the guys sent out? Because you guys obviously, you know, discovered what you discovered in um, when you were on holiday. Who who was sort of sent out as your emissary to go and figure out where to buy everything in India?
0: Yeah. So um, once once we got to a point where Paul and I just couldn't no longer just design bracelets. Um, which was obviously like many years ago, um, we hired uh, a product designer, product developer to help us out with this. And um, her name is Sheba. And Sheba has been doing an amazing job. Um, you know, she's, she's came from Forever 21. So she always designed, um, you know, younger female jewelry. And we felt that it was the perfect fit for Pura Vita. So her expertise, her guidance, her strategy, um, you know, traveling, getting uh, samples, research and development, you know, she goes to shows in India. She goes to um, you know think, uh, places in Hong Kong. She gets samples. So I feel like someone like that on our team has really allowed the brand to continue to grow. Because you know, there's a point where it, you couldn't, you you can't just figure out how to make cool products anymore. You need an expert in that seat.
1: Yeah, yeah, no question. And uh, do you did you guys open any retail, um, or is it all uh, you know when you direct to consumer? You said seventy percent. Is that all? online or have you now got enough of an assortment to be able to do smaller stores or is it still enough, not enough of an assortment for retail?
0: No, it's definitely an assortment. Um, you know, we were planning on opening a store this August, but that got pushed back. So, um, you know, we still have everything kind of ready to do that. Um, the store designs done, um, you know, the, um, the whole like look and feel the layout, the location, it's all dialed. Mm. Um, so we plan on opening that probably in like March or April of next year. Um, but that's still kind of TBD just with everything going on.
1: Yeah. Because apparently it's hard to open a store during a pandemic I hear.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's pretty much impossible. Um, so as a, rather than opening the store and realizing that it's a flop, I think we just pushed it back, you know, a couple months.
1: Yeah. That's great. And so what are some of the things that are, you know, on your mind within the company that you're excited about that are coming down the pike?
0: Um we have some really big uh, product categories that I can't share just yet um but we've do, we've done a ton of research on what our customers wanting what they um what they feel that they're buying from other brands and would rather buy from Pure Vita so we have some really cool stuff coming out um that will be shared on social media um but also we have some really big collaborations that we're doing with bigger um social media stars um so some of them are on, are on TikTok some of them are on Instagram um, but these collaborations that we're doing are really going to define the brand, open us up to a brand new audience, um, and also continue to scale us through uh, D2C channels.
1: That's great. And so uh, I always like to end with a sort of a personal note from the person I'm 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 interviewing. Um, so you know, and maybe you'll allow me a touch of sincerity because the the Pura Vida brand actually, you know, as I said earlier at the very beginning, uh, means a lot to me, mainly because of my love of, of Costa Rica, but also. Uh, for what it means, and um, you know, and as I said, uh, it's really about an appreciation of life's simple treasures. And I think many of us during this pandemic have really um, been able to come back to that. If there's been one silver lining, it's been people um, recognizing uh, how they can uh, be be happy with what they have, their families, and 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 their homes, and and their, the possessions that they currently have. So given that your brand is really one of those rays of light um, what, what makes you feel good what, may, what what are you looking forward to for your business for the for the world we're living in uh, and like basically give you the last word
0: yeah I mean obviously I'm, I, I hope everything starts to um, have some positive uh, positivity in the world after all this we've all kind of been living under a rock for the past three months and you know the emotional roller coaster of ups and downs um, and I'm thankful that my friends and family have been safe. And I, and I hope that other people um, are the same. Um, but also just coming out of this stronger. Um, we've all kind of learned to kind of peel back a layer of, you know, sensitivity and, and, really, and really kind of put all the cards on the table. I feel like everyone in every country in the world is pretty much on the same level now and the same level playing field. And, you know, we kind of have to all get back to the surface at our different comforts and different speeds. But, you know, I'm confident that we will. Um, got to just stay close to the people around us, um, continue to inspire others. And, you know, if you are starting a business or you are, um, you know, doing something right now, then keep your head down get to work and, you know, let's all rise to the top together.
1: Rise to the top together. Griffin Tal, thank you so much for doing the safari. And, uh, as they say in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. If you want to learn a little bit more about traub you can go to traub.io where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do if you're enjoying the safari please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry and please also don't forget to subscribe and like it until next time